The following message was preached from the pulpit of Bible Baptist Church, Oak Harbor, Washington. You can find additional information about the church. Well, if you have your Bibles this evening, I invite you to take them and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians and looking at the first four chapters. We're going to be in chapter number five in these chapters. We're dealing with the reports that have come to Paul's ears as the apostle, as the man who established the church, that there is division in the church. And we spent quite a bit of time in those chapters looking at what that division was, why it was, and what was the root cause of it, and, and uh, how it was to be dealt with. A church cannot be divided because a church is a body. And uh, when your body is divided, when there are issues in your body, that means you're sick. And a sick body can't do much. And it's saying the same applies to uh, a New Testament church, that if there's divisions uh, and one part wants to go this way and one part wants to follow this way, uh, then there's going to be uh, very little accomplished for the Lord. And especially when men's personalities get involved and people are looking to men instead of keeping their eyes on the Lord. And so uh, we find in the first four chapters that uh, the Bible deals with these uh, reports of division and so now in chapter 5 and also in chapter 6, uh, now the issue is going to be disorder in the church. Disorder in the church. Um, this was another area of problem that had come to Paul's ears. Uh, you'll notice in verse number 1 of chapter 5, it is reported commonly. So it wasn't something that Paul imagined. It's something that was going around. And uh, whether it was gossip or whether it was true, I think Paul knew it was true because uh, he would not have listened to just one report. Uh, he had heard from the house of Chloe, and now there's this common report that there is immorality in the church. And so chapter 5 deals with the problem of immoral behavior among the members of the church, and we'll see in chapter number 6 that there was insensitive behavior. And these were issues that were really tearing the church apart and uh, causing it not to be effective for the Lord. And so as we go through it as a church, uh, there are things that uh, uh, we're talking about that I don't particularly believe are a problem here in our church. Thank God for that. Praise the Lord for the unity we have. But uh, we do need to get an understanding of why these things are, are so deadly and why Satan would use anything in your life or my life that would cause division or would cause uh, some disorder in the church. And we'll see uh, here tonight how that affects the church. So let's read uh, the chapter if we can tonight. There's just 13 verses. In verse number one, the Bible says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, I have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, 
your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, even as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then ye must, then ye needs, uh, then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do uh, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do ye not judge them that are within? But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among you, uh, from among yourselves, that wicked person. Sorry, I'm having a little trouble reading here tonight. But uh, uh, as I said, this is uh, dealing with the, the problem in the church now of immoral behavior. And uh, chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians is one chapter that, that I uh, would call the church discipline chapter. Uh, there are chapters in the Bible that really give us the, the main teaching on a particular subject. And so uh, for the sake of memorizing and understanding the Bible, I like to title these chapters. And my title here in 1 Corinthians is the Church Discipline Chapter. Uh, chapter 13, I call that the Love Chapter. Chapter 15, I call that the Resurrection Chapter. Because these particular chapters, it's not that other parts of the Bible uh, do not speak about these subjects, but if you were looking for one uh, portion of God's word that would give you the, the overall teaching of a particular subject, then we would call these special chapters. And this is the church discipline chapter. It gives the most definitive teaching on how a church, like our church, is to address the problem of sin within the membership. Now, there are two kinds of offences that can take place in any church. Uh, I think it's important that we understand that. Uh, there are what we would call private offences and public offences. Now, a private offence is something that takes place between individual members. Uh, maybe you've been offended by someone at some point in time. We do get offended. Some perhaps are more thick-skinned than others, and they can take it a little more, but uh, we're all subject to being offended. Where things are said or not said, or where things are done or not done, and we are hurt by that, by what somebody else does. Sometimes it's inadvertently, sometimes it's out of a heart of malice, and, and that's a problem. And uh, so in Matthew chapter 18, we have the Lord's teaching on how you and I are to deal with offences. And let me say this, that dealing with an offence, when you've been personally offended by another brother or another sister in Christ, 
The biblical answer is not to leave the church. The biblical answer is not to stop coming. We are to follow the scriptures. And here is in Matthew 18, the Lord lays it out what to do. In verse number 15, he said, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Now there are three steps there, and thankfully most of the time offences, personal offences between members can be dealt with uh, privately and go no further. But there are steps if you have been offended or if someone comes to you and says, you offended me by what you said, what you did, or whatever it may have been, uh, and you refuse to reconcile with your brother, then someone else should be brought in and uh, to deal with that and to address it. And if only then, if, if people will not listen and, and, and agree to reconcile, should it be brought to the church so it becomes public. So you have privately approaching the, uh, the person who has offended you, go to that person. Don't go to somebody else and tell them what they've done. Just go to that person, sit down and say, look, there's an issue between us and we need to talk about it. We need to pray about it. And if there's an offence, would you forgive me? In Jesus' name, would you forgive me? And, and, and I'm sorry that I did that. I didn't realise I was doing it. Thank you for pointing it out, whatever it is. And when it's settled, it's left there. You don't bring it up again when they may offend you again. In fact, Peter later comes on and says, how many times do I have to forgive? <laughs> Till seven times 70? And, uh, or seven times? And the, Jesus said, no, seven times 70. We just keep on forgiving. We are supposed to forgive as Christ also has forgiven us. And I'm glad that when we sin as a Christian, we don't have to get saved again. That uh, Jesus, in his forgiveness, c continues, the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and that is an ongoing process. Praise the Lord for that. So there is a procedure here that's given for private offences. And I would, I would say, because Jesus said offences will come, so it's going to happen, if it hasn't already happened to you, that you uh, follow God's prescription for dealing with it and uh, you'll be blessed. And, uh, and, and don't let the devil use something that goes on between you and someone else to fester to the point where it actually does become a church matter. Uh, it's gone too far if that's the case. But we're not looking at that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're looking at the public offence. Notice in verse 1, it is reported commonly. This wasn't something that was done uh, in private or unbeknownst to others. It was, it was a common report. When I read those words, it is reported commonly. I often ask myself the question, what is reported about Bible Baptist Church? 
Now, I know there's people out there that have nothing good to say about our church, um, but what is reported that is, it is accurate. Uh, if there is uh, reports out there, people know about our church, you know, and that's the problem here. This church was known in its community. And when there was sin in the church, as it happens today, then it seems like it spreads into the community. And that is a sin then that be, becomes open and it brings reproach upon the name of Christ and upon the name of the church. Uh, we all probably know of churches in our own day where uh, there's been sin that has not been properly dealt with and it's destroyed the church or the church has to change its name just so that it can have a fresh start because of the stigma that is attached to that church. Peter wrote it, he said, uh, if any man suffer as an evildoer, uh, I mean, as Christians, we can be accused of all kinds of things, but he said, make sure that that's not true, that uh, these are just lies that are being made up against you. And so there is uh, public offenses. These are ones that are uh, known to others. And so what is happening here? Well, look at verse number nine. Uh, verse number 9 and through 11 gives us some examples of the kinds of sin that uh, are not necessarily real personal here. They're very public. In verse number 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now, fornication is a, a sin that's very, very common today in our society. Uh, Certainly in the city of Corinth, which was known for its immorality, uh, these Christians had been, or these believers were saved out of a, a life and a society that was just very, very perverted in, uh, in these areas. And so uh, sometimes it's very, very difficult when a person gets saved to, to kind of pull away from the old lifestyle without the Lord's help. We need God's help to do that. But... Uh, fornication is one sin. This is, this is uh, any kind of, of, uh, of uh, impurity outside of marriage. God has a plan for marriage. We'll see that when we get to chapter uh, 7. But um, this, this was uh, the problem, this particular problem here in the church. Uh, then in verse uh, number 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if a man that is called a brother... That means he's a Christian, okay? He's called a Christian if he be a fornicator, if he be covetous. In other words, if he's longing after things and lusting after things that don't belong to him, not rightfully his, or an idolater, or a railer. You say, what is a railer? Well, some, that's somebody who rails, who, who just raises their voice in, in criticism and an and attacking kind of a mode, uh, or a drunkard. Uh, and an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. So the Bible makes it very, very clear the kinds of sins that just can't be kept secret. They're going to get out and they must be dealt with. There are other things in the Bible that we're told to deal with as a church. Uh, for example, doctrinal divisiveness. In Romans 16 verse 17 uh, Paul wrote, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Uh, 
And so that can be a, a public sin is when false teaching gets into the church. The refusal to obey God's word. Now, I'm not talking about the fact that we sometimes struggle to obey God's word, but I'm talking about a refusal to do what God wants us to do when we've been taught. First, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Uh, so when a Christian refuses to follow God's word... Uh, it's going to cause problems in the church. And so uh, he needs to be noted and to be avoided. And then heresy, Titus 3.10, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. And a heretic is one who uh, does, gets involved in this party spirit of dividing the church into, into factions that we've looked at already. So these are the examples that we find in the Bible uh, of public offences. And uh, I believe personally that as a church we have to con contain uh, public offences uh, to those that are actually identified uh, in the word of God and not to just uh, put people under discipline because uh, they didn't agree with the pastor or something like that or uh, they parked their car in the wrong spot. Uh, you know, you can go to ridiculous uh, extremes with this and we, we want to avoid that. But the Bible says that public offences are to be dealt with directly and specifically. And there was a real problem with the church at Corinth. It, it did not take the situation seriously. What a shameful verse, verse 2 really is. It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you and verse 2 says, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. I see this as kind of a, a snickering. That, uh, well, did you hear about brother so-and-so? Uh, he's living with his father's wife. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the way the world would look at sin today. Uh, fools make a mock at sin, the Bible says. But uh, this church should have been mourning. It should have been broken that this would have happened. And by the way, the Bible says if one member suffer, the whole body suffers. So it's not something that can be isolated and say, well, that's their problem. Uh, no, it's a church problem when it becomes public and known and it gets out there. There ought to be a spirit of mourning, of sorrow, of grief that one of our brothers or sisters that we love so dearly has fallen into a sin that is just so heinous that it's bringing reproach to the name of Christ. There's a danger of overlooking sin in the church. In verse number six, Paul wrote, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And I'm sure you ladies or men who have done some bread baking or any recipe that uses leaven, you know that uh, to bake a loaf of bread, you just don't use very much leaven or yeast to go into the mix that will cause that lump of dough to expand and grow bigger and then you can bake it. And that's what leaven or yeast does. It expands things. And so Paul's saying, look, 
If you allow this to stay in the church, what it's going to do is just keep on spreading and it'll become destructive to the church. Look over in your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. I want to read down to verse number 18. And uh, this is kind of talking about the same thing here and the effects of, of, of sin. And by the way, this is how sin works in our own lives. It's not just our church. If you tolerate sin in your life, I'm talking about known sin that the Holy Spirit and the word of God has pointed out this is wrong in your life, but you say, well, I'm not going to do anything about it. So you tolerate it, thinking I can handle this. You won't. Uh, verse number 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, but shun profane and vain babblings. Why? For they will increase unto more ungodliness and their word will eat as doth a canker or a cancer of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. So you can see the, 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 the progress here of false doctrine and uh, it is uh, going to increase to more ungodliness. And it's going, to, it's going to overthrow the faith of some. And it's like a canker or a cancer. And you know how cancer works. Uh, you know, we're, we're thankful when somebody is examined and they find a spot or a small uh, tumor. And we say with a sigh of relief, Thank the Lord they caught it early. And we say that because we know that cancer generally spreads. And once it has spread and once it has gone to other vital organs, there's very, very little that can be done outside of a miracle of God. And so that's what this leaven will do in a church. And that's why it's so important to take it seriously. You cannot overlook it. Now, back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 3, Paul gives his judgment about this matter. He said, For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. He said, I, I don't need to know more. I'm just telling you what needs to be done. Now, Paul was not a member of the church at Corinth, so he had no authority to to deal with the member in particular but he said I've given you my judgment based on the word of God and uh, it needs to be dealt with that um, that uh, you would you would act uh, concerning him that has so done this deed so how do we deal as a church when a time like this should come where there is immorality or where there is um, persistent drunkenness and I would say uh, substance abuse these days. It's not just liquor. Uh, I think it can be hard drugs and a number of things where uh, it, is, it is something that uh, is uh, a sin and it's an open sin in the church. How do we deal with it? Well, this chapter says the church must take action. And 
Let me, let me just say that it doesn't necessarily mean that we immediately would call a meeting to uh, put that person under discipline. Uh, with some offences, and it's a case-by-case case, uh, 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 way of dealing with it, I think that uh, sometimes a member may just need to be cautioned. Uh, if someone uh, gets drunk, for example, and a lot of times people can get drunk when they didn't mean to get drunk, but they were foolish, they let their guard down, they got in with the wrong crowd, whatever it is, we can say, brother, that's, that's a sin. The Bible says you ought not to be drinking and uh, you need to repent and ask God's forgiveness and don't do it again. And hopefully they would take that admonition and not do it again. So it might be something like that. We could caution them and say, what you're doing, you need to stop because it can't go on. There are some things that just need to be dealt with without, I mean, just because of the seriousness of the matter. But let me give you some scriptures here. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26 says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. You know, we have to take into account the maturity of a Christian. And sometimes they can just oppose themselves because they've gotten themselves out of God's order and things are out of whack, as we would say, and they need some instruction. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So there's a, there's a step that perhaps should precede the whole church having to take action. That uh, the servant of the Lord, the pastor's, Maybe the deacons could deal privately with that sin, even though everybody knows about it and it still needs to be brought before the church, but hopefully there would be repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. I think I would like that, that uh, if, if, the, if the devil had tripped me up and got me all tangled up in some sin that... Uh, that there could be some steps of help that would come. Uh, Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Not being puffed up and laughing about it, but the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So there is a place for spiritual believers to try to help someone who is caught up in a, in a sin that is perhaps listed here and uh, needs to be dealt with. Even the Lord writing to the church in Thyatira in Revelation 2 verse 21, they had a woman named Jezebel, uh, I think that was her title, but she was teaching subverted doctrine but even the Lord said he's giving her space to repent. And people need to be given an opportunity to repent and turn from that sin and get right with God and own it up before the church because it's publicly known, it's commonly reported. The Bible says that a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, then reject him. 
So in acting, sometimes with certain offences, there can be steps taken to try to preserve the sinning brother and restore them and give them an opportunity to repent and to get right with God and to get right with the church. But when the sin of a member is so public, there should be steps taken that would amount to a public example. Um, There's been instances, I haven't heard of any really too lately, thankfully, but you may have known of not necessarily Bible-believing Baptist churches, but churches in our country where pastors have been caught uh, with their hand in the cookie jar embezzling money or they've been... uh, caught with the church pianist or the secretary or some other lady in the church in an immoral situation. But we love our pastor so much, so we'll just let him go. We'll forgive him and he can go off and find another church and he can pastor there. (laughs) Nothing makes my blood boil more than something like that, but it has happened. And that's not how you deal with sin. Even if it's a pastor, now a pastor... Uh, The Bible says uh, that uh, an elder should not be accused except with two or three witnesses. Because everybody, well, no one here, but in a lot of churches, everybody's out for the pastor uh, when they don't like the preaching or don't like the message. But that's another thing. But you see, what that does is it destroys the church's testimony. And we have to be concerned about the common report. What do people think about Bible Baptists? It's not that we're trying to to put on a facade, but we don't want to get the reputation that, uh, well, sin doesn't matter here. You can sin and still be a member of Bible Baptist Church. When that gets out, people say, well, then why would I want to go to this church when I'm looking for salvation from my sin? So how does the church or how does the Bible direct the church when it is to deal with a sinning member? Well, let me give you the steps here. First of all, the church is to meet. In verse number four, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye, that is the church, are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there has to be a a gathering. You see, it's not the pastor's job to put members out of the church. When you became a member of this church, you'll recall that you stood probably here at the front and either gave a testimony before you were baptised or you were joining by a letter, but there was this statement made, all those in favour of accepting brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so as a member of Bible Baptist Church respond with a good hearty Bible Baptist Church, amen. And is there any opposed? Now, that you are voting those, mem- those people into membership. So you should be voting them out if that's, necess- if that's essential to do. It's not a pastor's job to say, well, just get out. You leave the church. No, that's not how it is done. And so the church is to meet. And notice it says in verse 4, when ye are gathered together, then Paul says, and my spirit. What he's talking about there is the apostolic authority that comes through the New Testament, the word of God. And then he says, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means with the full authority of Jesus Christ. Church discipline is not a pleasant thing, but it, and it's a very serious matter. 
But let us understand that this is something that is commanded and we have the full authority of Jesus Christ to take action. In fact, we went to Matthew 18 and talked about uh, private offences, but if they're not dealt with, they eventually have to be brought to the church. And if, they, if a sinning member will not listen to the, the, the voice of the congregation, then they're to be treated as a heathen man and a publican. The very next verse says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What that verse is saying is that the decisions of a church down here on earth are ratified in heaven. We have the authority of Christ to act and he will, he will back that. So we have to be very prayerful and very careful about the steps that we take. So the church, first of all, is to meet, but then the church is to take action. Verse 5, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Delivered unto Satan. What does that mean? Well, it, it simply means being excluded from the membership of the church. In fact, verse 13 uh, kind of explains it a little more. But them that are without God judgeth, therefore put away from among you, uh, among yourselves, that wicked person. Put, put them out of the church. Um, that means put them out from under the umbrella of spiritual protection. Because that's what the church is. Uh, when you come to church, you, you are in a safe place because you have, you're in a, and I'm not talking about this building, although hopefully it's a safe place physically, but you're in a safe place spiritually because it's the Lord's church. The spirit of God is here. The word of God is here. There is teaching from the word of God. There's fellowship from the brethren. And there is a spiritual protection from the fiery darts of the wicked. But when you're put out from under the church, that umbrella, so to speak, you're out from under that. That's why it troubles me when people absent themselves deliberately from church. They're, they're making themselves more vulnerable to what Satan can do. And uh, so exclusion from membership is, is what a church is to do. Now... Let's be clear about this because of what's taken place in history. It doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. Because your salvation does not depend on membership in this church. Um, and that's what the Bible says. Notice it says to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, many of the Corinthians had died there was actually physical death. And sometimes, not, not always, but there is a sin unto death. God will deal with a Christian who deliberately and persistently and unrepentantly continues in sin. God has every right to call his child home. And I can understand why, because it's a bad testimony and he's doing nothing for the Lord. So the destruction of the flesh means maybe you'll be... You'll, you'll die. I mean, that's not a threat. That's just what the Bible says. But notice also it says that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You don't lose your salvation 
if you leave the church or if you are put out of the church. <laughs> and uh, you say, well, yeah, that's pretty obvious, but in the Roman Catholic thinking, uh, if you are excommunicated, that's the word they use, it's akin to losing your salvation in their false theology. That's why it's hard sometimes to win a Catholic to Christ. It's hard to get them to come to church because it's been ingrained in them from birth that if you're not faithful in the church, then you can't be saved. Salvation is in the church. So to get saved and to go to Bible Baptist Church, they have that, that feeling that I'm walking away from my salvation. It's not true, but that's how they're taught. And uh, in the Middle Ages, the popes would use excommunication as a threat against kings and rulers to get them to toe the line. Because if, you were ex if there was a threat of excommunication, it was tantamount in their false thinking that I'm taking away your salvation. Nothing could be further from the truth. Remember back in chapter 3 at the judgment seat of Christ, that if, you, if what you have done in your Christian life serving amounts to wood, hay and stubble and is burned up in the fire of judgment, yet you shall be saved. If, you, if you're the most disobedient, uh, do-nothing Christian, in, <laughs> you're still going to get to heaven. Although I say, saved by the skin of your teeth. Well, that's not true. You're saved by the blood of Christ. But shall I empty-handed be uh, when I stand before my Saviour? So there's no loss of salvation. And what it means is that... Uh, someone is excluded from the membership. They lose the privilege of being a member of the church. So the church is to meet, the church is to take action, and then the church is to unite. Verse number nine, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Members have to support the decisions that are made by the church. Um, the Bible says, have no company with them. That means not to eat. Verse 11 spells that out. Uh, at the end of that, with such an one, no, not to eat. It, it means to withdraw fellowship and not to, not to go to that member who's been excluded and say, well, I don't agree with what the church has done and, and you come over to my house and we'll have fellowship. And uh, you, You're defeating the purpose when that happens. But also understand that it does not mean ostracization, that you will have nothing to do with that person. You'll avoid them. You'll walk on the other side of the street. The, the Bible says, let him be unto thee as an heathen man or a lost man and a publican. Well, do you do that with lost people? You say, oh, there's a lost person coming. I'm going to go across the other side. How can you win them to Christ? And when there is a brother or a sister in Christ who's been put out of the church, we're to treat them like we would a lost person, but that means we want to give them the word of God. We want to encourage them to do what God says. The Bible says in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 15, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so when we put someone out of the church, 
if, that, if we ever have to do that, then we need to, as a whole body, uh, close ranks and allow that, that separation from the church to take effect. Which brings me to the next point, and that is the purpose of church discipline. Why would we ever want to do something like this? Well, let me give you, first of all, for as far as the Lord Jesus is concerned, it's to, to guard his honour. First um, Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation or your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. The most important thing about our church is that it glorifies God. That we do not allow things to happen or to, to, to take place that would besmirch the honour of Christ. That is paramount. And uh, we would guard the honour of our Saviour. Secondly, for the church, there is the protection of its purity. We want to remain a holy church. And uh, here the Bible uses the illustration of the two Jewish feasts that came at the same time uh, in the uh, Passover time. There is, uh, first of all, you'll notice uh, down there in verse number uh, uh, 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And in the Jewish economy, in the Old Testament, the Passover was on the 14th day of Nisan, and Jesus Christ is our Passover. All right? It's not the Lord's Supper, it's Jesus Christ. He's our Passover. For when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Then on the 15th through the 21st of Nisan, which was around the month of April, came the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, that's there also. It talks about purging out the old leaven. Let us, in verse 8, let us, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And of course we know that what the Jews did and many do to this day is uh, at that time of the year, in their uh, religious calendar, they will go through the whole house. Uh, it's kind of like a, a fancy spring cleaning. They'll go through everything and remove every speck of yeast or leaven that they possibly can. Um, they miss the point. You see, that's the blood of Christ applied to us that, that does that. But uh, nonetheless, leaven is a picture of sin. That it, in the Bible, it's always a picture of sin. When you see that leaven, in most cases, it's, uh, it's talking about it like that's how sin works in our life. It starts off very small, but if we don't deal with it, it just expands and expands and then it consumes the whole. And so as far as our church is concerned, if we are to maintain uh, our, our holiness, our purity as a church, then we have to be... Uh, willing to take steps to purge out the leaven. And then for the sinning member, what is the purpose of church discipline for the member who sins? 
We'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 because there is the other, there is the good, the happy ending, which we all like happy endings, right? And uh, it was, a, it was a, a bad time in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Here is a, a member living in open sin with his father's wife. I mean, fornication takes on all forms, premarital, uh, adultery, uh, homosexuality, incest. All of these things come under the general heading of fornication. And here's a man, a member of the church, living in sin. I mean, what a black uh, eye that was and how sad it was. And so Paul gives his advice, and evidently they took his advice, praise God. In chapter 2, look at verse number 6. He's now talking about their action, and he says, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. So the church, evidently the whole church, raised their hand and voted that man out of the church. It was, in, uh, uh, it was uh, afflicted. Inflicted, I should say, of many. And sufficient. That, that's all it took. Verse number eight. Uh, no, verse number seven. So that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a, a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. It doesn't happen very often. But what a blessing it is when someone who was put out of the church for sin has come to their senses and gotten right with God and they come before the church and say, would you forgive me? What are we to do? <laughs> Very clearly, we're not to say, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. No, we are to receive them. We're to comfort them, confirm that we love them. We've always loved them. And that is the purpose of discipline. When you discipline your child, sometimes it's painful. Not just for the child, but it's painful for the parent to have to uh, inflict some pain upon their children just to correct them. But, <laughs> you know, the Bible says, No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And that's what happens when you, as a parent, will properly discipline your child and correct your child, which sometimes requires uh, some steps that are, that are painful. That you do that because you love your child. You don't do it because you're angry with them. If you're angry with them for what they've done, you need to cool off. And a church doesn't respond to sin out of anger, though we would hate that sin. We need to be very, uh, very careful how we proceed. But the fact is, uh, we do that because we love them. And we don't, we don't count them as an enemy. When they're put out of the church, we count them as a brother. But, oh, brother, would you, wouldn't you listen to what God has to say? Won't you do what the Bible says and and, and, and put that sin out of your life. We love you. We want you back at church. You need to be here. And when they do repent, we are to receive them. We're to confirm our love toward them. And uh, 
What a blessing that is. And that is the purpose of church discipline, to protect the honour of our saviour, to protect our church from the spread of sin and to restore the sinning member to full fellowship. Not to, not to probationary, where you can come back and you have, to, you have to keep your nose clean for six months before we make you a full member. <laughs> That's not the Bible way, to receive them with the love of Christ. Now, church discipline is, a, is an unpleasant subject. We understand that. But, and there are extremes. There are many Baptist churches today who just do not practice it. They just don't want uh, the confrontation. They don't want the uh, ugliness of having to expose sin to deal with it. And so they don't discipline. They look askance at sin. They'll excuse it. Well, you know that brother, that's just the way he is. Uh, they'll justify it. Well, if it wasn't for his wife giving him fits, he wouldn't have done that. So blame shifting, no. But some churches will do that. Sometimes they'll do it when the member who sins is known to be one of the best tithers. And if we put him out of the church, our finances are going to go down. And I may not get paid what I want to get paid. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's a misguided understanding of love. We, we think we love people because we overlook sin, but that's, that's the opposite to love. And sometimes we have the improper attitude toward, toward people. In verse number two, ye have not rather mourned this sort of have broken your heart. This should be a sorrowful thing. And sometimes churches just treat the way members live as if, well, that's their business. As long as they don't do it in the pew, whatever they do at home, that's fine. And I know that there's a limit to all of that. I understand. But this is a serious matter. And there are extremes. The extremes of, of just not ever, not ever countenancing uh, taking church action, but on the other hand, there can be cruel church discipline where there's no allowance made for immaturity, no allowance made for correction. I've, I've, I sat in a, a church once where the preacher made his son, a, a young, probably a preteen, come and stand before the church and humiliated him and made him confess to the church that it was he who threw a water balloon against the wall of the building. And then I was in that man's office after the meeting and I was sitting there uh, talking with him and a Sunday school teacher came in and said, Preacher, I, I can't be here next Sunday. And uh, before he could even get the words out, that preacher, and I think he was trying to impress me with how tough he really was, he just berated that teacher, made him probably feel about that small. You know, there are extremes in church discipline where there's no allowances made or calling for every sin to be brought before the church. Uh, I think we've got to stick to the sins that are actually mentioned in the, in the word of God and, and then totally ostracizing disciplined members. I've already mentioned that. Some in history uh, have gone to the extreme of imposing civil penalties. 
You probably have read of those trials, the heresy trials in the uh, Middle Ages and in the early parts of the Reformation where heretics, many of whom were Baptist brethren like you and me, were brought before the church officials and the church condemned them to death, but of course didn't want to get their hands soiled with the execution, turned them over to the civil authorities who would burn them to death at the stake or execute them in some other uh, terrible way. All in the name of so-called church discipline. That's an extreme. I think I've told the story when I was in Moulton in England, a little village where William Carey uh, was the pastor of the Baptist church there in Moulton and that's where he had his little cobbler's uh, shop where he made shoes and that's where he had the map of uh, India and so forth and, and God just burdened his heart to take the gospel to the heathen. But it, they had a little museum there and there was uh, the church records. And Brother Perez is going to love this. They put someone out of the church for playing a stringed instrument. I guess Brother Ian too, you better leave, huh? <laughs> I mean, I realize that was back in the day where, you know, things were done differently. But we have to stick to the word of God. And, uh, uh, but but uh, these sound amusing, but uh, unfortunately church discipline has been applied in such a harsh, unloving way and going to the extremes that it's just as bad as the offense itself. Now, how do we avoid this? How do you avoid ever having to come to that place? Well, keep in mind that the word discipline and the word disciple are connected. And as believers who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are to be his disciple. So we are under discipline. We are under what we call formative discipline that comes through the preaching of the word of God our study of the word of God, our reading of the word of God. And as we read the word of God, the Holy Spirit changes us and that's part of the discipline. Um, I'm sure when a man enlists in the military and shows up on day one to boot camp, he's got no idea what's coming. But there is discipline. And that young man or that young lady is knocked into shape and made into a sailor or whatever it is, and, and it's tough. But uh, that discipline is so necessary if they're going to be effective when the, the bullets start flying. And we understand that. And so as Christians, there is a discipline that we are all under. And it's simply the discipling and the growing of all of us. So as we yield to that discipline, the formative kind there'll be little or no need for corrective discipline. And so I would leave you with that admonishment that when you are sitting under the preaching of God's word, just keep in mind that God is using that in your life to make you a stronger Christian, a more effective Christian. And as we move on from this chapter, we'll go to chapter 6 at some point here. You know, it's talking about insensitivity. When we have disputes among each other, instead of bringing it to the church, we take 
our brother or sister to court. I'll see you in court. <laughs> well, it's hard to believe what Christians can do sometimes. I hope you're learning something from 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's a very practical book because it's a church that had all kinds of problems, and yet the Lord addressed it as a church. Uh, no church is perfect. Bible Baptist Church is not a perfect church, and that fits in with the Lord's intention in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, where the Bible says that he is washing us with the water of the word, that he may present us without spot and wrinkle. And hopefully as you go on in your Christian life and as we go on as a church, those spots and those wrinkles will become less and less. It's kind of opposite to the aging process, right? Praise God. The preceding message was preached from the pulpit of Bible Baptist Church, Oak Harbor, Washington. You can find additional information about the church and our publications ministry on the web at bbcoakharbor.org. For further assistance with specific questions, please feel free to give us a call at area code 360-675-8311. Thank you for listening. Our prayer is that you receive the blessing from the preaching of God's word.